0: Fish Stripes Unfiltered, episode 20. We're 20 episodes in. I guess this we could say is a milestone. It's 40 weeks in now, I guess. Uh, Isaac, my co-host, we've been doing this for 40 weeks now, 20 episodes in. How are you? And I
1: guess congratulations for sticking around for 20 episodes. (laughs) I'm doing swell, man. It's been a lot of fun. It's felt like 80 weeks, but it has been a fun time. I feel like we've been doing this since last year. But yeah, I know we've gone through a lot of milestones. This is definitely one of them.
0: Yeah, somehow we got to do content through a lockout, which that was that was tough. Uh, we, I, I can firsthand say that. And then we have Eli, who's our who produces the show, who who allowed us to be on this platform to biweekly. Eli, how are you? And thank you for coming on as always. We're all repping UM gear today. Funny enough,
2: yes, the best biweekly podcast in Fish Stripes history. Probably the only one that we've run on a <laughs> biweekly schedule. You guys have done awesome, so it is great to hop in and go through a very pivotal time for the Marlins season at the moment.
0: Yes, yeah, so I guess we could just start right away. So I put out a tweet asking you guys to send us questions, and some of you actually came through. So I guess we could just go right into the first question. I wanted to make this a little bit more fan-oriented where you guys asked us questions and we would respond to come up with topics and that you guys want to talk about. And here's the first one. What moves can the Marlins make in June to save their season and not – Condemn it to another 6772 win failure. Trade staff roster adjustments. Do we actually have what it takes?
2: That's an interesting question. we been talked about a lot. That's an interesting question.
0: So I like that they mentioned staff here because funny enough, today the Philadelphia Phillies were recording this on June 3rd. Um they fired Joe Girardi and uh, another coach, but I guess the one that really matters is Joe Girardi. So I guess we could get that one off the out there first isaac warrior your thoughts on that firing i mean it looked like he'd really lost the locker room and with a team that has the fourth highest payroll in the mlb they should not be at a they should not have the
1: same games under 500 as the marlins would for example yeah um that was an interesting one i know this is rare because lancela and i were discussing prior to this prior to recording this this uh, mid-season firing of a manager hasn't happened since i think we couldn't find since 2018 i think the reds fired their manager so it's not very often; it's not very common when a, a team fires their manager in the middle of a year. So that was peculiar. And then I'm not totally surprised. They're, I don't follow the Phillies that closely, but I have noticed a lot of strange moves made by Girardi. That's the ones that, if Marlins fans were, you know, following, they would be like going crazy. It's all like stuff that Don Manley does, Girardi is doing even crazier stuff. So I'm not too surprised. I am more surprised also that they just had the bench coach be the interim for the remaining for the oh, for the remainder of the season knowing that they probably have the same philosophies when it comes to managing so i don't see much of an improvement there but they're just hoping that you know any sort of move will jump start the offense and the, and the pitching because they're not off to the best of starts
2: right and this is what's always so difficult about midseason managerial changes and why you don't see it that often as you just mentioned the interim rob thompson he's the bench coach who was actually with girardi way back in his Yankee days as well, for a bunch of years, yeah. they're the same guy. They're kind of in the same club, and as you said, the same philosophies. Um, the The Marlins situation back in two thousand three with Jack McKeon that was an all time outlier case where they just pulled Jack McKeon off his farm in North Carolina and like plopped him back to this team that he didn't even know in the middle of the season, and it worked realistically with most of these changes you want it to be an interim that actually knows the players and knows their personalities and knows the best positions to put them in as well which means generally getting somebody from within the organization already who actually spent time with them to take over and the other side of that is why would you expect things to be all that much different than they were with Girardi so once I get a, a second I'm gonna try to actually like write out comparing this situation to Don Mattingly with the Marlins, because there has been a lot of clamoring early in the season to get Donnie out of the team after a number of years. But I believe, as you alluded to, this was a different situation where Girardi was not nearly as cooperative with the media or with his own players, where he didn't seem to be aligned with the front office as well. Whereas in the case of Mattingly, almost every single manager these days, there is that like core principles where everybody seems to be in line from the GM on down and that this was an unusual case where they felt the personality clash was too much and they had to do something about it but this is it's a really unusual situation I don't expect there to be very other many other firings like this around the league at any point until after the season
0: yeah and I knew I I had a feeling when this came out that many in Marlon's Twitter and I put out a tweet and I got a couple responses there I, I thought people were going to go back to Don Mattingly and say, it's time to fire him. No, he he's not the one playing the game. He's not the one sending players up and down. He's the guy who makes the lineup. He's the one who chooses the starting pitcher for so-and-so day. And I know it's the start started the season. He made some very questionable moves with jazz and in the bullpen itself on who he chose for the ninth inning. But a lot of this is coming from the front office up there, what they're making him do down there on the field. And, you know, we, I guess we could kind of expand on that. Isaac, what we, you know, what would you say to those that say they want to fire Mattingly? Because number one, I guess the last time the Marlins fired someone midway through the season was—did they fire
1: Redmond midseason? They, they fired Redmond midseason. That was the mid-season. last one. So before that, they fired Freddy Gonzalez in 2010, in mid-June. But yeah, like like Eli said, it's it's a very unique situation. And when Pretty it sure. comes to Donnie, I just. I, I think if they were to, it would be James, it would be, you know, it'd be James and it'd be someone in-house. So I don't think you'd see a lot of changes. I don't think firing Don Mattingly would be the answer. I have disagreed with him on many moves as well, just as well mm-hmm. as many Marlins fans have. But, you know, Abby Garcia is not going to turn into a 30-home-run guy when you fire Don Mattingly. I don't think the the, pro- the same problems will still be there. Now, there is something to be said about, oh, you know, a cultural change in the clubhouse. But I think the players really respect Donnie. He's great with the media. And I, I don't think that would solve a lot of, problems so i think if they were to move on from donny which they might do but i think it would be at the end of the season i think they're gonna let this this year play out give them the full year five of this rebuild or build as former ceo jeter like to say (laughs) um but yeah i don't think that would solve many problems as marlins fans like to think that they would
0: yeah, and then I guess the final thing, I, I guess you said it perfectly there that, you know, people are complaining that just because Avisao is hitting the way he's hitting, it's Maddenley's fault. No, he's not the one playing out there. He's not the one playing for them either. So that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. And, you know, Donnie's a great person. We, we speak to him pretty much on almost on the daily or every week at some point we go there to the stadium. He's a great guy, very nice person. He gets along very well with the staff, with the players. You know, you, and that's something that I guess – I spoke to Luke Williams yesterday and he said that he loves the, vibe, the vibes in the clubhouse, how excited they are. And, and that's something that starts with the manager as well. So that's something definitely to keep in mind. <laughs> I forgot I made this picture back in 2019 uh, when we were talking about the
2: Marlins tanking. They got, we got off to a really terrible start. And I just was going through the pics on my computer and found them. So sorry to distract you. No, no, your it's a train okay. of thought
0: right there. It's okay. This is hilarious. The final thing I'll say is the worst case scenario is that the all-star break is when he could get fired if things just go completely out of hand where they're 15, 20 games under, which I don't expect that to happen, hopefully. So that's the last thing I'll say on Donnie. So I think, uh, just to go back to the question, what moves they can make, I really don't know. I guess you could get another closer maybe. There's some guys in AAA they could definitely call up. Uh, That's when it comes to roster adjustments. But traits? I mean, if you have anyone, Isaac, I really don't at the moment, but... Yeah,
1: I, I think the swings and missions interview with Dan Greenley, assistant general manager, the one thing that I did take out of it, there wasn't much, but the one thing I did was that they will be a little bit more aggressive than they have been in years past. They've always been sort of aggressive at the deadline in 2019, 2020, even in 2021, albeit I'll, I'll as sellers, but I think even if, if they're 10 games or less under 500 or, you know, eight games or less out of a playoff spot, they'll be somewhat or moderately aggressive, and I think a team that they should really, you know, talk to is the Oakland A's. Yep. I know Louis Treverino is what guy that you wanted. He's been horrible. This year's been bad. He's not been good. But they have a couple of you know high-leverage arms that could really help this Marlins bullpen. Like Domingo Acevedo, he's been not bad. I was watching an A's game the other day. They have a I have like two or three guys that have pretty nasty stuff that could definitely help Miami's bullpen. But I, I think the bullpen is definitely where they would improve if there were to be buyers at the deadline. And other than that, there's nowhere else. There's no room to improve really the like the everyday lineup. So I, I would think that pitching in the bullpen is where they would go. And I think Oakland would be a, a pretty decent trade partner, and they obviously have history with them, just as you know as recent as last year.
0: Yeah, the only other player I was really thinking mind was the the Rockies closer Daniel Bard, who's just been having a phenomenal season. But that team's, I guess you could say they're kind of in it there. Um, Daniel Bard, I think, and he's in Coors Field. You look at his baseball um, baseball savant. Uh, his his percentiles are pretty much all red. He has around I think ten saves, eleven saves at the time I, I looked at them. But that's definitely another option. Pittsburgh. Um, I really don't know where they are at the moment. They're they're not they're a, they're better than Miami record wise. But I mean, if you look at some of their relievers, that's maybe something. No, Brian Reynolds. We're not going to start that train again. He's been really bad. Um, I don't know how Ramon Laureano's been, but that's someone who they could look at if they really want a good defensive center fielder that won't drop balls and give up inside the park home runs but um that's about it when it comes to trades, roster adjustments i think we've gone through this a couple times now that they need to bring up some triple a guys lewin um gerard those are just the main guys i don't know if you want to expand on that portion Isaac uh,
1: yeah. uh, or ramon Loriano, you know he uh as good of a center fielder as he is he's not even playing center field that often you know no, he's not you Pache, and he's, no, right, you know, yeah. he's even better defensively than uh than lariano younger and faster so it's an interesting situation over there in Oakland. I, I wouldn't be opposed to having Laureano come, but I think a million things have to happen before they would consider that.
0: Yeah. So I think we can move on to the next question.
1: I'll get this one out of
0: the way pretty quickly. <laughs> Ay, la tortuga. I ah. mean, he's been good for, for what he's been, for what we expected. He's been pretty good. He's pretty much played everywhere except shortstop. If I'm correct, um, He's hitting the ball. He's putting it in play. Something that not many guys in this offense have been able to do. That's that's really all I could say. And we'll probably be seeing a lot more of him soon with <sighs> B.A. and Wendell out. Yeah, he's yeah. he's played first, second, and third. He has zero strikeouts
2: through six games played at the that's moment.
1: Zero walks too.
2: Zero walks. <laughs> and one home run. But I don't think he's going to add to that very often when he's not playing at sports field. That had something to do with it. <laughs> in sure. my opinion. Yeah, he's You said it. He's going to be around a while as a result of the injuries that they're dealing with, with Wendell and with uh, B.A. At least with Wendell, that seems to be a longer-term absence potentially because he aggravated his hamstring issue. Like That's one particular weakness for the team at the moment with those guys out is their infield and bringing somebody up to fill that spot that can more reliably hit or that's better defensively or both. But the problem is if they're not super long-term injuries, it's, it's an awkward piece to talk about as a trade candidate as well. Um, they're kind of just stuck in that situation. And, Cast- and Astadio is somebody that they targeted before the season for exactly this kind of opportunity. So we'll see whether or not that's actually going to help them win games or not. But we'll find out. He's going to have a lot of
1: responsibility for these next one or two weeks at least. Uh, I'm going to pull out my fish on the farm cap here and just like <laughs> say, you know, sure he's a fun guy. He's a cool guy. He's really a unique, you know, hitter as if he just doesn't walk, he doesn't strike out at all. But you know, for the positions that he's gonna be playing, I know that LeBlanc can't catch, but why wouldn't a guy like Charles LeBlanc be an upgrade over him just athletically, you know, there was a ball in course field that, you know, almost any other major leaguer, major league third baseman can
0: oh, yeah, I saw, I yeah.
1: so I, I just don't understand what the reasoning would be to have Asudio and not someone like Charles LeBlanc perhaps or even Joe Dunan or even I guess Bryson Brigman's not playing that well, but there there are other more athletic options than him. And this whole rebuild has been athleticism, prioritizing that. So it's just a, that to me was is a strange decision.
0: Yeah, I think we can move on to the next question about whatever it is. <laughs> Assuming the current trend continues, which non-obvious players do you think the Marlins will have to be Open to moving at the deadline. All right, I'm actually excited to answer this. I was writing on this. I don't know if Eli may have seen it or Isaac Chorus, but I've been preparing probably the longest article I've ever written. Still not ready, but I don't mind talking about this at all. The first player that comes up to mind, which we were going to talk about, but we'll do it now, is Pablo. So
2: this
1: is the out you want in this inning.
0: 3-2 from Pablo. He wanted it, and he got it with the strikeout. Um, If things go south, this we don't know how certain the team is that they will extend Pablo because I think the, the the best comparison we could use is Joe Musgrove in his situation in San Diego. He's a second third guy in that rotation and he's expected to earn twenty mil. Um, the only thing that I I could see with the Marlins why not extending Pablo is the injuries. I mean the guy has been this is the first year where he re- still hasn't been injured. I know last season he missed half a season due to injuries in twenty twenty. It's a shortened season, so he was able to pitch all, pretty much throughout the whole season. That whole season in 2019, 2018, uh, he was also rattled by shoulder injuries. So uh, that's the first player that comes up to mind. But then obviously, they're the guys you would kind of expect well, The wait, wait, wait. non
2: obvious. Non obvious. Don't oh, even spend your time on the obvious guys.
0: The non obvious. All right, let's go on the limb here. Jorge well, Soler. Why not? He's on. He has the opt out Th- that, that has a lot to say. But I'll, I'll let you go next, Isaac.
1: That's my non-obvious guy. Uh, I think you mentioned it too for me, so I'll shoot it over to Eli.
2: Right. And just to explain to people, Solaire's situation, he has an opt-out after this year that he could use if he's playing well. If, if this version we've seen of him in May continues the rest of the year, um, then you would expect him to opt out. And if this is a team, as Alex is alluding to in this question, where – they, the trend continues and they're a seller at the deadline. Then, so there would be a guy that, assuming this is an expiring contract, then you flip him to get something in return rather than nothing, as unpopular as that may be because of the style of play he has and his Cuban heritage. You know, he's pretty quickly going to turn into a pretty popular guy on this team if he continues producing up to the deadline. But understandably, uh, somebody that you'd have to consider moving. And in terms of non obvious, I guess you look at first base. Uh, this is going back to the conversations we had over the offseason um, about what to do between Jesus Aguilar, Garrett Cooper, and Lewin Diaz. And with the assumption that. being that Aguilar and Cooper would be one guy said trade, but um, with the way that the Marlins have managed this team and operated coming into the year, the way that Cooper and Aggie have produced at times, uh, I would throw Lewin as a pretty Like logical trade candidate to me if we get to the deadline and those guys are still producing. He's a first baseman, and this is just a position that no matter how well we think he is defensively and how much upside he's showing in in AAA, he's been an amazing run producer each of the last two years at the highest level of the minor leagues. The fact that they have not given him much of an opportunity, I think speaks to the concerns that they have about him being ready to be everyday first baseman or ever like reaching that level. This is his final minor league option year. I don't think his trade value is is even as high as you might imagine right now. This would be an opportunity to sell kind of sort of low on him or um, if if they just don't believe in him long-term as much as they did when they acquired him, then first base is the position that you could patch together one year at a time. You can hold on to Cooper one year at a time. You can find guys like that in free agency. If you, at a certain age of their careers, it that's a position that you don't really need one long-term piece to fill it. There are very few like first basemen that you stick with and build around year after year after year. And the Marlins, if they I'd kind of understand it if they want to swerve unpredictably and sell off the young guy to get something substantial in return and just keep patching together first base with the veterans as they have been doing the last few years.
0: Yeah, I always said with Lewin, especially in the offseason, you know, if they're not going to trade Aggie or Coop, you may as well just trade Lewin since that guy's never going to get a chance in the big leagues, at least in a Marlins uniform. I know I said Oakland as an option for him, especially. I know you were mentioning Oakland Isaac earlier. It, at the time when we all wanted Ramon Loriano, or most of us did at least, that was the perfect trade. You trade away Lewin, a player that Oakland would need, and Miami gets a player of need, which would bolster that center field position for them having a guy who barely could play center field in jesus sanchez to a guy who's a completely experienced but i guess if we're going non-obvious i know we mentioned solaire is anthony bass a guy who we could consider non-obvious he really hasn't been spoken of this season in terms of trade until a little bit towards now i mean if miami really looks to deal away and to sell anthony bass has put up the numbers to be one of probably the Biggest guy you could sell over in that bullpen. There's a couple teams that come up to mind, but I don't know if you want to maybe expand on that Isaac or if you have another player besides uh Solaire that comes. No, oh, yeah, now. that's
1: that's a that's a good name because I, I if Miami does fall out of it significantly and they're 15 games under at you know mid July, that's an arm. He's on an expiring deal. He's a free agent at the end of the season. I think so. he has an option, right? But I, does he? Yeah, I he is he a has club team. option well, that yeah, just, will be pretty likely picked more. up. Right, so even about more attractive. Ones. Even more attractive for any team that could need some bullpen help to get into the postseason. The Braves would be a fit. You know, they the have Phillies. like a decent bullpen. There's a lot of teams that could use Anthony Bass's services. So, unfortunately, if you know things do go south, they he's an arm that could definitely be attractive to other teams. So, I, I, I do see that happening. Unfortunately, yeah. And you mentioned in the division, why not the Phillies? That would be a pretty good option for them as well. Getting.
0: A guy got like bass to at least help them out a little bit in that bullpen, which is probably one of the worst in the majors. And, and you say, and people say that Marlins bullpen is bad. The Phillies is even worse. So I think we can move on to the next question if there is one.
2: Well, you, you said you wanted this to be a relatively quick podcast. We've already spent 20 it's minutes okay. on Q and a, the last Don't couple forget. of are just silly ones from our friend, Miss Mambo uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> about I whether, whether you send the Marlins to Pensacola and bring the who's here to try to win some games. And it may a similar one from one other account as well. MILB recipe is about the Jumbo Shrimp, whether they can beat the Marlins playing head to head if it happens today. No.
1: Honestly, in a seven game series, Jumbo Shrimp won one or two. Yeah, they won, but. One yeah. or two. But just because he mentioned Pensacola, Griffin Conine had another big game yesterday. He's been heating up. We were speaking with Aram Layton, you know, one of his biggest advocates. And yeah, the play rate overall is still 35%, which is bad. Not just 28. 28. But mm-hmm. for him. But in the last yes, in the last, you know, month, it's been it's dropped to 28, which hey, with the insane amount of time that he walks, his power, it, it could work. Obviously, it's still a long ways away, but that's a, an intriguing, intriguing name that hey, he's doing this at double A. They're gonna have to protect him this year. Because I think like last season they were pretty confident that he wouldn't get selected in the rule five. They, luckily it got canceled. So but I do think this year they will have to make a move on the 40 man to protect this guy.
0: Yeah, we'll get into the minor league levels in a bit. So I think we're done with the Q&A. That was very fun. Um, If you ever have a question, don't hesitate to tag me, Isaac, or Eli. Our Twitters will be on the – there they are. You can tag Fish Stripes instead of Eli. But let's move on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, and we'll go by these quickly. Marlins All-Stars. So I think this has been a topic that we've been talking about this past week about Sandy and how good he's been, how much he deserves to be an NL starting pitcher. He should be the starting pitcher in the MLB All-Star Game in Los Angeles. I think we all agree at the moment he should be because there's no other better pitcher that's been doing it better than him. And really, his only competition has been Pablo Lopez or Corbin Burns. So I'll go to you, Isaac. You wrote the recap last night when they took 3-0, and you mentioned that Sandy should be the All-Star starting pitcher for the National League. So. Um, just I guess if you want to expand on
1: that, how good he's been and any other options that come up to mind, which, yeah, I'm thinking you know. of doing an article on just like the straight upward trajectory that Sandy has gone on since twenty eighteen. You could have a whole tarp behind home play and he would still walk six guys per nine innings. Like he he has come such a long way since being traded over to Miami from St. Louis. It's really remarkable to see how well he's you know, he was an all-star in twenty nineteen. Twenty twenty he pitched the biggest games in recent history for the Marlins. Twenty twenty-one, two hundred innings, two hundred strikeouts. And this year, he's on pace for an even better year. It's really phenomenal how well that how well he's doing it and how phenomenal of a starting pitcher he is. He's probably a top-five pitcher in the National League. In my opinion, for sure, a top-five pitcher. And for All-Star, I think he's got to be in the conversation to be the starting pitcher for the NL. There's no one that's been better. Corbin Burns has been pretty really good. Pablo Lopez has been really good. But when it comes to just you know durability and innings pitch, that's five straight games of 100 pitches. That's five straight games with at least seven innings pitched. It's been seven innings, yeah, seven innings pitch. It's just been remarkable. And there's I, I'm just obsessed with the starting pitcher. He's he's humble, he doesn't care if his team gives him one or two runs. He'll put he'll keep his ball his ball club in the game at all times, and he's just phenomenal. He's got my vote to be the NL starting pitcher.
0: Yeah, and he mentioned in the yeah. press conference which we were at that he could go 130, 150 pitches, which is very which I wouldn't, you know, that's something I wouldn't doubt from Sandy because I'm uh, pretty sure if it's like that, that he said it like this after every start he makes the day after he goes into a two hour and 30 minute workout, which is just insane. So, um, you know, this is definitely something that Sandy takes into mind with his routine. That's something that Donnie also mentioned in the press conference that he had the stuff in 2018, but he didn't have the best routine. And, you know, that routine making changes to it, adjustments th- throughout that week before he makes that start or when he makes the start is something that, he definitely puts, has looked at him, changed around, and look how he's doing now. The only other players that really come up to me when it comes to all-star candidates, Pablo, obviously, I think he will definitely make the all-star team. He won NL Pitcher or NL Player of the Month in the month of April after leading the National League in ERA or the whole MLB in ERA. And then Jazz is the only other one that really comes up to mind. Probably the best hitter on the team so far this season. Uh, you look at all the guys, Jazz is one that comes up to mind. So, Eli, uh, if you have anyone else, or just expand on those guys we've already mentioned. Yeah, well, you are
2: kind of downplaying how awesome it is that you have 3 no, an all yeah, all-star candidates. Sandy, extremely likely. I'd say Pablo, definitely better than 50-50 chance. And Jazz, due to his fan popularity, um, certainly better than 50-50 as well, even with the time missed due to injury. This is something the Marlins have not had since before the rebuild. Like they've had, I think, three total all stars over since then because they've had one during the full seasons and none in 2020. So they could have as many all stars this year as they had the last four years combined. I think people know that, but it needs to be said because it is cool. It is really something that especially as casual fans cool. and for, for a team that sometimes struggles to capture the imagination of the fan base, especially if the team's under 500. Like this is pretty special that they're going through right now. Um, and really, again, outside of that, I, I don't think they're going to have four all-stars. There is not really another obvious guy. It just should be noted again how well Jorge Solera has been hitting of late. Uh, if that continues in a year where there hasn't been as much power hitting in baseball, as usual like you you'll be surprised actually how high he now is among like the NL home run leaderboards i wouldn't totally rule him out as as being a guy that could sneak in as one of the reserve outfield spots um but aside from him yeah there's that's about it I mean, anthony bass has had a great year out of the bullpen but not really as a closer and not quite to the level of dominance that it takes to get in as a reliever and it's it's a shame that jesus lizardo got hurt as well cuz it was really he exciting to see what he was doing just in his first handful of starts. But for him, maybe he'll be a second half all-star, something like that. Yeah.
0: Alrighty, Edward Cabrera time. I, I wanted to talk about this. I know you've wanted to talk about this, Isaac. The guy had probably the best start out of any pitcher in that Coors series uh, against the Rockies. Six innings pitched, one hit, zero runs, zero earned, four walks, nine strikeouts, 0.00 ERA, and earns his first major league start. The 96 mile per hour changeup is the strongest strikeout ever recorded since 2008, which was, I think, when baseball savant became the thing. So that's why it's from 2008 and on. Isaac, your thoughts on Edward's start? We actually didn't talk about this on stream since we weren't on, but we'll do it now. And the question that
1: I think is the obvious, yes, did Edward Cabrera earn himself another start in the major leagues? Yeah, well, not only did he earn it, I think it's more of a necessity that he will be pitching again. that that is well. yeah, well, I wasn't able to catch the first two innings of his start. I was out, but I came back and just wow, he was getting ahead of hitters. And I think the biggest thing with him, the change from last year to this year, is that he was using his fastballs. He got a few fastball strike uh, strikeouts, and that's just so different from last year because he was really depending on the changeup. He's throwing so much off speed to you know get first pitch strikes and to try and finish guys with the changeup. This year, he really was setting it up with the fastball with a 97, 98 and then wiping them out with either a changeup or an off-speed pitch. So I thought that was you know, noteworthy. And then the other thing, what Eli alluded to, what, which we what he saw differently in the minor leagues, was getting that different style curve ball as sort of like to steal a first pitch strike. He did it a few times in that start, and that was really great to see it because, wow, when he has like four or five pitches that he can get, he can go to at any time, he's gonna be a really tough guy to hit. He's got the sinker, he's got the fastball, he's got an incredible changeup, wipeout off-speed stuff. It's gonna be fun to watch him progress. And this was all done in course field that he kept that he kept Colorado off the board. And even more impressive, he gave he allowed the bases to be loaded, I think, in his last inning, and he got out of it. So he showed a lot of maturity and I was very, very pleased with with how he threw the ball. I hope he's here to stay for the rest of the year. Ups and downs are gonna happen, but I think regardless with the way the team's going and they the way they let Eliezer pitch through opposite downs, Edward should have the <laughs> Yeah, you're
0: right. The only thing I'll say quickly, Eddie, and then I'll go to Eli here is, uh, he only la- that last hit, that only hit was at, in the sixth inning, towards the end of his start, yeah. where he was his command was already becoming a little bit off. But there were points where his command was a little bit off throughout the game itself. He hit two guys, he walked four. Yeah. Um. What the heck? Oh, what? Look at that! The moms are starting Richard Blyer in this game what? tonight. They're starting Richard Blyer as an opener. <laughs>
2: oh, so some live commentary for people Look to hear that. afterwards. Eliezer Hernandez is a probable starter for Friday night, of course. And it looks like yeah they're using an opener. For the first time this year, they're oh, intentionally thank God. You know, lining what, I'll, up I'll their bulk guy to come in out of the pen after Richard Blyer. I think Blyer opened a game last year. Um, but again, this is just unusual for this year. This year, they have been, I guess, relatively fortunate in that they've had at least some starting options conventional guys shaking it up because as we've covered here on all our fish stripes platforms eliezer is just not good at <laughs> being a starting pitcher in the major leagues so they're trying something different so we'll, we'll have probably more insight on that after we see the uh, the way that it plays out just to uh, finish off on edward cabrera um I guess this ties into him a little bit in that it shows that their confidence in Eliezer could be slipping a little bit if they don't even trust him to be a conventional starter in this particular game. And it makes it all the more clear that Edwards' spot is – he has his spot for, I would guess, at the very least, until Lazardo comes back. And that could be a full <laughs> for Lizardo, who has not been throwing yet and still needs to get stretched out all over again. I still don't think we're going to learn a ton about Eddie – um, immediately because he had this outing against the Rockies. Um, despite it being in course field, the Rockies are not a good offensive team at the moment at all. His next start is going to come against the Nationals right in that same bucket, one of the worst offenses that you can go against. We'll find out more in his start after that, which would be either against the Astros or against the Phillies, either those on the road, and then potentially – uh, against the Mets soon after that, we'll learn a lot more about Eddie by the end of the month in terms of how much better he is than last year. But I'm high on this guy, so I have pretty high expectations.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Luzardo. Uh, when we went, which was Thursday, he still had not thrown yet, so that's very concerning. Uh, I guess I mean, he's gonna have to go through that whole throwing program that we see unless they go differently about it. So we may see him in July at most, I guess, if if we're really looking very very optimistic but um moving on from eddie i want to go into the minor leagues quickly and i'm frozen but you can still hear me we're gonna look into the minor leagues and start off with triple a and just go down uh triple is currently with a 27
1: 24 record uh isaac if anyone stands out to you or your thoughts on their season so far the the same old the same old fellas you know laywin is cranking Javar homered again yesterday which is just incredible he He's the guy who if they do go ahead and trade a guy like Lewin, I think he would have a big part to do with that just because they they have some more insurance. I know with the right-handed guy and I think they would prefer, you know, they they need some lefties. So that's the only reason why I think they maybe shy away from trading Leywin because they really do lack some of the lefties in the system. I know they have Day, but I mean, come on now. So I think Leywin has really been impressing me. Gerard, I think has as much raw power as anyone in the system. And besides that, Max Meyer's been hurt, so there hasn't been, you know, much more to, to pay attention to in AAA, For me anyway. Yeah.
0: No, yeah, I think you're right. And the only other player that really stands out is uh Braxton Garrett, who's actually had a very good season so yes. far. He uh, you, you know, know he's in the next five days. He he should. He definitely should, especially with how Eliezer's been. He's pitched better than the guy himself. So um, you know, until Max Meyer comes back he's definitely someone to keep an eye out on for as an option to be a major leaguer and in this Marlins rotation, but moving on to another level lower, we'll go to double A who are 22 and 21. I think they're still locked in the first place at the moment. Um, They're actually having a really good season. They have a lot of players in there that are fun to watch. You have uh, Griffin, Conine, Paul McIntosh, Troy Johnson, who homered yesterday, Thursday in that game against Biloxi. Um, I'm, Probably missing some other names. Oh, the the best player on the team. I'm sorry, uh, Victor Mesa Jr. Uh, their center fielder, Victor Victor um, Mesa. Victor Victor. Yeah, there's two of them. Um, it's I'm been definitely- it's been a long
2: time that Kevin's been covering prospects, and he still mixes up Victor Victor with Victor. <laughs> Those Mesa Those are the Jr. two
0: guys I always mess up on. But
2: anyway, uh, you did mention yeah. Troy Johnston. And I want to yeah. get into him a little bit more because he got off to such a bad start this year for a guy that in 2021 was the best overall <laughs> in the farm system that entire year at high A. So there were some concerns about how legit it was. I was always suspect of his power, but I was surprised to see him like hitting below 200 for April. And for most of May, he is the hottest hitter in the organization as of the last couple of weeks. Like he has, he's averaging more than two hits a game over his last 10 games as uh, Kevin dropped out, but he'll be back with us later on. That's why I'm here too. Right. Safeguard in case of these issues. Troy, But Troy Johnson, I dropped him out of my top 30 prospects uh, due to his slump, and he has thankfully rebounded. And he's been awesome recently, uses all fields, makes a lot of contact. The power is still kind of iffy, comes and goes. But overall, it's encouraging to see him. Um, I don't yeah. think he really has a position in the big leagues. The most important thing, though, is to hit. And this is an organization that we've been just saying the opposite for a lot of players, if only they could hit. So I don't want to discount what he's doing it is very important to have somebody with his really great approach and his his ability to
0: use all fields yeah the next team i think we could go into quickly is um beloit they are 20 and 28 they have the worst record out of the marlins org in terms of minor leagues um players that stand out i guess cody morris said tanner allen is in there dax fulton i think he's been lighting it up for this team um Nassim Nunez. Nassim, Nunez Nassim Nunez
2: has been really great recently. Bel- uh, yeah. this, Beloit is the hottest team of all these teams. They've they been have won- been the hottest, yeah. I've heard nine of their last 10, something like that, entering this weekend. They got off to an embarrassing start to the year, especially offensively. That has finally been picking up. Uh, Nassim, I need to give him a shout-out because he's been their leadoff hitter all year, and he, like so many of these other players in this organization, got off to a slow start offensively this year, but he is really turned it on, and now is resembling the guy that he was last year you know, in low A. That, that's important because the threshold for him as a hitter doesn't need to be that high considering how awesome he is defensively at shortstop. Thankfully, he's finally playing with a team that is televised almost every single night, so we get more examples of what he could do defensively. He's, he's awesome over there, and he, he seems to be a guy that I think he was – kind of worthy of being an early round draft pick. He's not a sure thing by any means, but he's definitely trending in the right direction.
0: Yeah. And with Nassim,
1: his defense is just, it's crazy. It's incredible. But he walks, he walks, he steals bases. He gold glove shortstop defense. He's the one guy, I know we mentioned this a long time ago, and we mentioned all the middle infield depth that Miami has, and, you know, upper and lower levels with minors. He is the one sure thing to stay at short, whether he's going to be a good enough offensive impactful bat well, just wait to we'll wait to see but he really he's a he's a special glove for sure
0: yep and the final level is um lowe they're 26 and 21 obviously that's where the first round draft picks are colo watson and joe mack there is also ian lewis who has been one of the hottest hitters in in all in, in the whole in all of minor league baseball to be honest with you then there's uh, jose salas has been kind of cold this season he hasn't been too good this season as well but Uh, And then pitching-wise, I don't think there's many names to look over there at, but Eli may know more than that. But yeah, your thoughts on Loewe, Kahlil Watson back down to earth after
1: what was a very promising start to his Loewe career in Jupiter? Yeah, we'd be doing our audience a disservice if we didn't mention Kahlil Watson's struggles over the last 26 games. He's walking at a 4.4% clip. He's striking out at a 44% percent Clip and he's slashing 162, 212, 210. Good for a 422 OPS. And that creates a 25 weighted runs created plus. So he is, it's not like he's just been gold he come down to earth. He has struggled mightily. You know, these yep. are these are very bad numbers for Miami's 16th overall pick. He was a top five draft talent. He was a top five talent out of the draft in 2021. And so this has got to be worrisome, you know. And in Jupiter, it is a tough place to hit, granted. but And a lot of the players are struggling. Like you mentioned, Salas isn't exactly lighting the world on fire. Jermaine Jr. isn't either. I know he's on a different team. But those are alarming numbers for Khalil Watson. I can't
2: say I'm shocked. I looked at his numbers a month ago when he was having success, and the approach and the swing and miss issues were there. Even early on this season it was i was questioning myself i'm like is this is this all right uh, this is usually not what good hitters look like this yeah. is not the guy that I saw on the scouting reports he got off to he was producing but he was the strikeouts have been there throughout this year and he's on the short list of highest strikeout rates in the minors not just in the marlins organization because he is number one in that among marlins prospects but Across all baseball, this has been an issue. I will remind people this is a tough assignment for a 19-year-old to be playing every single day at full-season ball. So I'm not freaking out yet, but it's a little disappointing relative to the hype around him. I think we, as we're recording this, Baseball America just updated its top prospects list. They dropped him like 30 spots, and I think that's merited. I think that's that kind of reflects my own thinking that he's still a very good prospect, arguably the best hitting prospect in this organization, but he is there's risk here. When you strike out as much as he has over such a large sample at such a fundamental part of the game, there's an issue. I will point out as if people needed this validation that the underlying stuff about his athleticism, you know, his exit velocity, his sprint speed is pretty special. He is, that athleticism is there and that's why he was a, first round pick there are other ways that he can impact the game even when he's not consistently making contact
0: final topic i wanted to bring up is what's coming up for the marlins i know we do the the weekly streams and all that stuff but just taking a quick brief look at what the month of june is going to look like they're playing the san francisco giants in the four game set so at the moment of the recording they're playing the second game of the four games So like this will come out saturday so they would have won or lost you'll find out our predictions then or you know, you'll know, you find out they won then then they go into tuesday through thursday they'll play the washington nationals then they have houston they'll go to houston for a three-game set philly for a three-game set they get a day off they go to new york for a three four-game set then they come back to play the rockies in a three-game and the mets in a three-game set and to end off the month of june the cardinals that's a hard month you're playing a team houston you're playing the cardinals you're playing the mets twice that is a very difficult month of June. Um, your thoughts on what's coming up for the Marlins and how important is this month of June for a team that is trying to stay in there and you know, and then we'll get into July quickly.
1: And I think this next six games, these next six days, this next week or so is gonna be really pivotal. They need to capitalize if they can sort of sneak a split or even three out of four against San Francisco, which their lineup is not that great. It's, it's pretty good. Great, tonight. It's, it's not a great good. lineup. And you know, they had Sandy yesterday, they got the win. Mozzles if they can sort of how sneak a win with this Blyer eliezer combo today you have trevor and you have you'd assume i think it's Bert, uh braxton on sunday you sweep the nationals okay you're right back close to 500 because that's when the you have a tough competition you have to go to houston you have to go to philly you have to go to new york those are gonna be tough and if they could just sort of stay afloat stay at 500 all right fine people will stay well you know they'll be indulged by that so i think this next week they really have to take advantage they have to go crazy they should have swept that double header in colorado that they they can't they couldn't have lost that series eli mentioned that's it hopefully miami sort of makes up for it with three out of four against san francisco sweeps the nationals and you go into that very tough road trip very tough part of the schedule and just stay one or two games below 500 during that portion and hey maybe maybe there's a chance but yeah i usually have hope when miami
0: plays philly they have- underperformed in Miami usually plays well against their own division, especially a team like Philadelphia and Washington. So if they could get those games, I'll be very excited. Uh, The games are very much scare me in New York. That team is really, really good. I mean, you know, these aren't the Mets from last season that were, they were there and there. And then all of a sudden they went down, crashing and burning. No, this team got Starlin, Marte, Mark Cannon, Max Scherzer, who's not even pitching at Jacob Degrom. Still not pitching, and those guys are winning a lot of baseball games. So that definitely scares me. And then the Cardinals are a team who just does it right, you know. Um, They're always in it. Right now they're in a wild card spot, funny enough. So this is probably the hardest month of the season. We feel
2: like we have a good grasp of these teams right now, but so much changes within a couple weeks. With with players that are available, like if we were talking about the Mets a couple weeks ago, we'd be talking about, oh God, they have Max Scherzer there, and then Max Scherzer goes out with an injury. It's it happens very suddenly in terms of how these rosters change. So I would not spend too much focus on the teams at the end of the month because you don't know which players are going to be available at that time for either team, for the Marlins or their opponents, or how they're going to be trending in one way or another. Um, but I will comment on you know the next two weeks, you know between now and the upcoming unfiltered with the giants. Yeah. The way this is lining up with the giant series is better than I expected. Absolutely crucial for them to really win the series, not just split it. And the nationals, we've already covered them about how embarrassing they looked as a team. When these teams I've previously met both in DC and in Miami, the nationals are, I I would say they're the weakest team in the entire national league at this point. And thankfully there are still a lot of games against them between now and the end of the year. With, with Houston and Philly, th- those are curious situations because Houston's yeah. been playing. Yeah, Houston is a pretty complete team. They're they're not a perfect team, but they're, they can beat you in so many different ways. And with the Phillies, as we talked about at the top of the show with Joe Girardi going out, you don't know exactly how that will affect a team one way or another, whether that inspires them, whether it does absolutely nothing. I think a lot of us are of the opinion that that's just a flawed roster, and so the upside of that Phillies team just isn't that great because the pieces don't fit together all that well, even with all the money they've uh, put into it. That's been a trend the last few years is the Marlins doing a lot better against the Phillies than people thought they should, and now this is a year where you line up the teams, and there really shouldn't be any excuses for why the Marlins don't compete with them, don't split all those games against them, if not something better than that. You referenced Isaac, one thing that It was my opinion that on this past road trip, they needed to pick up a couple more wins than they actually did. So I'm of the opinion that it would be totally surprising to me if they got back into this race. I think they dropped too many games that they needed to win. I I don't think this team has the pieces themselves that you need to win at a really high clip over an extended stretch. But So they'll have to surprise me during this stretch. They will have to not just win these upcoming series, but win them pretty emphatically because that shapes the way that they approach things like the trade deadline. We're always thinking about the trade deadline. For them to do anything other than just a flat-out sell, you need to put yourselves in a position in the standings where you have a a bigger variety of options and the way that you can go about it. So I think all of us are hopeful that this team gets it together at this exact time. Uh, Whether they actually do that, you got to just... Let the games play out, and we'll all find out together.
1: Yeah, and like you said, surprise. I I think Sandy's pitching much better than he did in April. So if that continues, that's like one plus. Hopefully we'll keep going. Trevor needs to improve. Getting Luzardo, Max, and Edward back sort of into the rotation mix, I think that'll be a big boost to this team. That'll help them sort of maybe try and pretend like they can win 10 out of 15 or, you know, 15 out of 20. But it's going to be tough, like you mentioned. I think I just wanted to touch on with Philly, the, they're like an, a flawed roster i think one thing that they didn't see coming was bryce harper not being able to play the outfield that really sort of screwed them and now they have kyle Schwarber, and nick castellanos having to play the corners because bryce harper can't throw you know he's playing with a partial to- partially torn ucl so the guy cannot throw the baseball and that's that really hurt the phillies you know yes he can still swing he's still gonna be an mvp player at the plate but not having him in right field really hurt this team
0: Yep, and I think that's where we could wrap up episode 20 of Fish, Reps, and Filter. We will be back in two weeks, hopefully with a guest. Uh, We'll see how that lines up for us. But from Isaac and our guest, Eli, we'll see you guys all in two weeks. Peace out and go fish.